What a beautiful picture that is. We're just so thankful. Can I just say uh, thank you and Merry Christmas to all of you because you are an encouragement to me right now. Uh, Because when we look at a Sunday that falls on a calendar year like this and we have to ask ourselves, what's going to happen when Christmas Eve is a Sunday? And we're asking folks to come in the morning and we're asking folks to come in Christmas Eve in the evening. And there's all of these options to them and we're wondering how our church family is going to spread things out. And here we are. And it looks beautiful to be able to look out and see uh, all of you today. It gives me a peace in my heart to know where we're at. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because when we think about peace, if we look back across the 20th century and even this first part of the 20th, first century, one of the things we would have a difficult time finding is a sustained period of peace. The century started with the Boxer Revolution, the Russo-Japanese War, leading right up to World War I. And then between the world wars, there were national wars of independence and many other conflicts going on. And then you've got World War II, Korea, Vietnam. From there, we see the Cold War, the Gulf War, Afghanistan, Iraq, the ongoing war on terror. And those are just the ones that are involving our nation, let alone what's happening in the other continents of our world. I think you'd have to describe it throughout. There was no peace. But let me tell you about an unexpected moment in history. It's now over a hundred years ago. The details seem more like a wish, maybe even a myth. I mean, historians don't all agree on this, but I believe the facts all line up. I want you to listen to this statement from a British officer, Marmaduke Walkington. This is in 1914. He says, we were on the front line. We were about 300 yards from the Germans We had, I think, on Christmas Eve, we'd been singing Christmas carols and this and that and the other, and the Germans had been overdoing the same. We'd been shouting to each other, sometimes rude remarks, sometimes just joking remarks. But eventually, one of the Germans yelled out, tomorrow, you no shoot, we no shoot. And the next morning, The soldiers on both sides laid down their arms and they came up out of those trenches into the no man's land in between the front lines. They brought out what little that they had. They even brought out family members had sent some champagne. They brought out the champagne. They brought out their cigarettes, whatever they had to be able to give gifts to the men who they'd been fighting with just 24 hours before. There were even rumors of an impromptu football match. Apparently, a ball was tossed out of the German trenches, and a game began, but not a competition between the British and the Germans, but just a moment of camaraderie, more of a kick-around, per se. This Christmas truce was not even agreed upon by either headquarters, and in fact, uh, based on reports, it did not extend across the full length of the front lines. But in this small section of the war... On that Christmas day in 1914, there was peace. Two armies who'd been battling over control for the land for that moment chose peace over conflict. How's your Christmas looking this year? Is there conflict that remains unresolved and keeps you from celebrating with someone that you love? Do you gather together to make things look peaceful, but underneath there's a conflict that will probably flare up and come right back in a few days? Well, today I want us to explore a peace that is far greater. 
I want us to explore a lasting peace, a complete peace, a peace that will have no end. And I'm so glad that you're here with me. Because as we continue and finish out our Christmas series, The Light of the World, we look back these past four weeks, we've been walking through this Advent season by exploring the four names of the Messiah that are revealed in the prophecies in Isaiah 9. First, we came to see him as wonderful counselor, a treasured gift because he is unusual, extraordinary and unique. He's wonderfully complete, wonderful in his counsel for our lives. And then after the cantata, we can't forget the cantata, that was a beautiful day. But after the cantata, Pastor Byers opened up the word with us that we might understand our mighty God, who came with the power to heal, the power to do miracles, as well as the power to withstand temptation and the power to forgive sins. And just as the people of Israel needed then, even today, we still need our mighty God. Last week, Pastor David helped us to see the hope that we might have in knowing him also as Eternal Father, the one who provides an everlasting, secure house for his people. And this morning, we're going to explore the fourth names from Isaiah 9, the Prince of Peace. And so if you will, join me. Open up your Bibles back to Isaiah 9, and we're going to go back over those same scriptures and while you're going there, we want to recall, just as we've discussed, that the time, at the time of Isaiah's prophecies, well, there was anything except peace in Israel. The Assyrian army was bearing down on the northern kingdom. I mean, they had chosen to ally with the king of Aram and were trying to draw King Ahaz, the king of Judah, into that alliance. But Isaiah had been sent to Ahaz, calling him to trust in God alone. But yet even then, King Ahaz turned elsewhere. And eventually the ruthless Assyrians wiped out Aram, the northern kingdom. And at the time of this writing, the writing was on the walls for what would happen to Judah as well. And so in a day when peace seemed like a dream, peace seemed impossible. Let's look at the word of God through the prophet of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff upon their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will accomplish this. Now, we may not be facing a ruthless army bearing down upon our doorsteps today, but the forces that want to destroy us, the forces that want to steal any chance of peace are certainly present. And so this prophecy is for you and me as well. So let's unpack that last name of the Messiah and look at the three truths that help us to rejoice in the gift of peace. Now, I'm confident that if I asked many of you for a definition of what you see as peace, we would get a relatively consistent answer that would talk about a lack of conflict. Now, that would certainly be a desirable condition in our lives. But I also don't want to leave anything just based on our own wisdom here. So I want to compare the picture that we might have of peace with the truth of what we find as we begin by understanding peace according to the Bible. Peace in the Old Testament translated from the word shalom. Shalom was used over and over to describe peace, but also the peace offerings and the blessings upon others. Similarly, in the New Testament, the word used, the Greek word, erinē, is used almost a hundred times to describe peace, and also as part of a blessing, such as grace and peace be with you. You see, peace is not just about nations who are at war. It's about a personal peace. And peace was something that all men desired in one way or another. And yet I think we can agree, even today, that peace can be elusive. Peace can be short-lived. Sometimes peace even seems simply impossible. Yet from our passage today, peace is actually promised. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness Righteousness from then and forevermore. I want to know that peace. I think all of you do too. So let's see what we can understand and look at how we can see it better based on what the Bible reveals. Because first we can look at the idea of peace between men. To understand, it might be easier to start where we see a lack of peace. Just open the newspaper or maybe your news app right now and the headlines cry out to us a lack of peace between men. We can see it on the grander scale, whether we're talking about the wars between Russia and the Ukraine, between Israel and Hamas. Now, I'm not going to allow myself to go down an endless rabbit trail here of trying to explain those wars or even to place them in a biblical context, but rather simply acknowledge that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, told his disciples, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. And so whether we're talking about a lack of peace between nations or simply a lack of peace between two people, we can find that the source comes from the same heart. We find this in James 4. James helps us to answer the question, what is the source of quarrels and fights among you? Is it not the pleasures, the desires, as he would say, that wage war within your members? Now, we'll unpack that a bit further in a bit, but can you see how when I want something, when I want it so bad, desiring it, that I'm willing to sin in order to get it, whether that's as a nation or as a person, these desires will result 
in a lack of peace. That would be the heart that brings a lack of peace between men. But God's Word calls us over and over in many places, sometimes subtly, sometimes very evident, where we see greetings and blessings such as grace and peace to you, go in peace. The heart that's behind these words desires that there would be no conflict remaining between men, that we would walk with common desires, desires for Christ that would not bring a continued conflict. So in this sense, what we see as peace between men is the alternative to war and conflict that so quickly breaks out because of the hearts that want simply what they want. Now we could stop right here, and that picture of peace is desirable. But even though our lives would be easier, more peaceful simply because of a lack of conflict around us, I believe the Bible also points us to and promises us far more in regards to peace. Because ultimately, peace in the Bible will also include peace between man and nature. When peace fills this earth, there will no longer be the danger and the destruction caused through a broken and sin-cursed world. The storms that are so destructive today will be no more. The conflict between man and nature will be no more. Take a look at how Isaiah described this peace that we'll find when God places his chosen king on the throne to reign over his creation. He says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But even the beauty of this picture of peace does not fully describe the wonder and the wholeness of what God's Word describes as true peace, Because peace comes with the end of the conflict between men. It comes with the the end of conflict with nature. But even more importantly, we also find that God offers peace within ourselves. I mentioned earlier from James the description of where our conflicts originate, the source of our quarrels and fight. We have to acknowledge that that source is within us, coming from our hearts, And so when we're looking to find peace, we need to know that there's a way to change what is coming from our hearts. We see this also in the book of Isaiah. Look what he says in chapter 26. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Now that's a beautiful promise, don't you think? But who's it for? The one who trusts in God. The end of conflict within us begins with our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our choice to place our trust in Him as compared to trusting in my own understanding. Now I know, and here in sermons, it would be easy just for me to look at you and go, trust God. Just trust Him more. But rightly rightly so. You should be looking at me and going, thank you, Pastor Rod. How? How do you want me to trust Him more? Thankfully, Isaiah is a better preacher than I am because he includes the answer here. 
The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. Who's that? The steadfast of mind is the person who's seeking to know the truth. To hold on to the truth as revealed from the very word of God. The steadfast will stand upon that foundation. The foundation of the sufficiency of God's word. And they will not be rocked by the storms and conflicts of this world. Even the ones that start inside of us. And God promises to then keep us in perfect peace because of our trust in Him. It all flows as a logic. Peace does not come from within us. Conflict does. Conflict begins in our sinful hearts. And we will not find peace by trying to fix ourselves. But by seeking the Prince of Peace as our source, as the one who can bring peace... We can find it, just as Jesus told his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. As we look at this first truth about peace, the Bible says that it's about more than just a lack of conflict in our lives. That truth is not lost on the world either. I'll go back to my example of wars. Think about Korea. The war began in 1950. The fighting lasted for three years. And then they signed an armistice. They laid down their arms. They exchanged prisoners. But there's no peace there. There is no peace in the land. Yes, the armistice is better than continued fighting. But we should not mistake that for true peace. Maybe that's what your Christmas family gathering looks like. There used to be huge arguments with family members. Then brothers who have fought for years, maybe mom and dad who are separated by divorce, well, they come to an agreement to suspend the fighting simply to allow the gathering and the exchange of gifts. There may not be fighting, but everyone's still walking on eggshells. Don't mention what happened last year. Don't bring up the reason why we don't meet on any other occasions. Does that sound peaceful? I don't think so either. No, I don't think so, because it only addresses the active fighting between individuals. The conflict's not really gone, and it never really will be until we understand the second truth. <coughs> A second truth to help us rejoice in the gift of peace. And that's that we must all acknowledge that all of our conflict comes from our war with God. Now, I, hear, I know we're here on Christmas Eve morning. We may even have guests and family or who new to us, and we're talking about something that doesn't sound so light and Christmassy, does it? Well, it would be easy just to talk about the peaceful side of peace, to try and p- paint a beautiful picture. But I think as we walk through it today, by the time we're complete, you'll agree with me that the picture of peace is just that much more beautiful when we explore it fully from end to end. And so as we acknowledge that our conflict comes from our war with God, it comes from the conflict within us, we have to acknowledge. We acknowledge we're not the only one present. There are two parties involved, and we have to acknowledge that the conflict really does start with us. Because sin brought conflict with God. Staying in the book of Isaiah, he agrees with the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, helping us to see how our sin is the cause of our conflict with God. 
It even comes right from the beginning. Take a look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 1. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They've abandoned the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. To the people of Israel, Isaiah called out their sin as a nation. But he was also calling them out for their sin individually because they turned away from God, away from his teaching, and they were no longer trusting in him. And our God, our holy God, cannot simply look past our sin. In his holiness, he can't even be in the presence of our sin. He says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And God, in his patience and love, now notice, he doesn't respond to this conflict with the righteous destruction that we deserve. Now, he could have, and he has at times throughout history, but rather here, he simply removed his presence and removed his peace from our lives. Because our sin brought conflict with God, and our sin brought conflict within our own souls. It impacts us as individuals. The consequences of our sin, the impact on our souls is best described if we look all the way back to the beginning of God's Word in Genesis. Because in the garden, there was peace. In the garden, Adam and Eve experienced the purest of peace within their own souls. Notice how the Word says that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. With nothing to hide, they could have complete peace within their soul. Until. Because then, with a heart that doubted God's goodness and believed that they knew better than God, they chose to disobey. They chose sin to bring conflict with God through disobedience, and as a result, they lost the peace that was within their own soul. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. The shame in their hearts drove out the peace. The guilt that they felt brought them into conflict with themselves and with others. This is the same conflict that resides in our souls when we continue to carry guilt and shame for our own sin. But the conflict extended further. Sin also brought conflict with creation. We see these consequences then continuing in Genesis chapter 3 when God responds telling the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. And to the man he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. We live in a sin-cursed world with sin-cursed people. And any peace that we might find is limited by the truth of sin's conflict with creation. Again, Isaiah described the condition. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It's desolation as overthrown by strangers. The land on which we live in Israel and right here in Lafayette is not at peace because of the sin and how sin brought conflict with creation. 
and not just with creation. It brought conflict with each other. Again, I could let James speak here about the conflicts, but let's see what Isaiah says as well. Because after he had said that our iniquities have made a separation with God, that our sins had caused God's face to be hidden from us, he goes on to describe how our sin impacts us and impacts others. Hands defiled with blood, lips speaking falsehood. We seek mischief towards one another. The works of their works are iniquity. The acts of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are their highways. They do not know the way of peace. There's no justice in their tracks. They've made their paths crooked, and whoever treads on them does not know peace. Our sin brings conflict. Conflict with God with ourselves, with creation, with one another. And if we stop right here, there is no peace. And if that's my Christmas picture for you today, that's pretty ugly, wouldn't you say? But we can't ignore the truth that if there was no conflict, there would have been no need for Christmas. For Christmas is not a celebration of our righteous lives but it's rather a day to rejoice in because God would send his only son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. This portrait of the Prince of Peace is all the more beautiful to us when we see our conflict with God and how it can only be reconciled through him. And as such, folks, each of us has a choice. Will you choose to trust in the Prince of Peace who makes peace for you? If you're here today with us for Christmas and you're living a life that remains in conflict and you struggle to see any amount of peace in your life, I want you to know that we're thankful that you're here and I want you to know that the Prince of Peace wants to bring peace into your life. And he asks nothing in return. Or maybe you're here tonight, having already placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you are still struggling to find the peace that he's offering. Well, in both of these cases, our response is the same. For some, it may be the first time. For others, we may need to walk this path over and over again. But praise the Lord that we can know that the destination of this journey is peace. And if you want to find peace, there's a very simple path. And that path begins by admitting that we cannot fix the brokenness for yourself. You cannot find a way back to a place of peace. Any peace that only depends on you. Without the Prince of Peace, we remain lost in our sin. Without the Prince of Peace, we remain dead in our transgressions. We can try to figure things out on our own, but even in that, we'll deceive ourselves. The prophet Jeremiah describes the heart of man as wickedly deceived. None is righteous. No, not one. Can we have peace on our own? Isaiah answers that question. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord, because our wickedness comes from our disobedience, our conflict with God, and that has consequences. He says, if you had only paid attention to my commandments, 
Then your well-being would have been like a river, your peace and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If we want to find peace, we must admit that we must choose to be reconciled back to God. If we want peace, it's more than just a holiday without fighting. If we want peace, our conflict must be made right with God. And we reconcile with God. And that includes paying the penalty for the sin that we have committed, that we deserve because of our brokenness. But folks, I have to answer that truthfully too. That payment, it's more than I can pay. It's more than any one of us can pay. We cannot be reconciled to God on our own. And this is why the Christmas story is so important. Because only He can bring peace to a sinful heart. When we choose to believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and the suffering servant who came to make peace for sinners. The promise of peace begins on Christmas with His arrival celebrated amongst the angels. And suddenly there appeared an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. Now that's a celebration. Why? For a child is born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his, his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Each of those names would be beautiful and true of the Christ child even as he was born humbly in the manger. And each of those names would describe the man who Jesus would grow to be in ways in which he would fulfill each of these names. And so our Christmas celebration today should not even stop with simply adoring the Christ child in the manger, but singing glory to God in the highest for what is still yet to come. The Word reveals that Jesus would grow up increasing in knowledge and stature in the favor of God and men. Through his life, he would experience all that we experience. He would be tempted in every way that we are tempted. And he would choose obedience to his heavenly Father so that he could be the Lamb of God, perfect and unblemished, so that he could fulfill the will of the Father, making a way for his children to be reconciled and to find peace in Him. Think about those names. Our wonderful Counselor, through His Word, He revealed the kingdom of God and our need for repentance. He would reveal the path leading back to the Father and a place of peace, the path to reconcile our conflict. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The people of Israel were watching, but they were watching for a mighty king who might cast out the Romans. But our mighty God came to do far more. He came to heal the sick and lame, to make the blind see. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. And he also came humbly 
peacefully to do what we could not do for ourselves. Surely our griefs He Himself bore, our sorrows He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being, our peace, fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. Folks, it's hard to imagine on Christmas Eve that we could hear these truths and not rejoice over the coming of the Prince of Peace. But we cannot ignore that on that day, some 2,000 years ago, the people knew all that we know from the Old Testament. And somehow yet, they did not understand that He would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. The rebuke that we deserve, He took for us. When He stepped right into the middle of our conflict with God, And He made a way. He made a way to reconcile us to Himself so that we might enjoy peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there still conflict in your life today? Conflict within your heart? With this world? With those whom we might even call family and friends? When you're ready, ready to acknowledge that the conflict comes from within you and that it comes from unrighteous, the unrighteousness of your heart, you can have peace if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ that we are saved. It's by faith alone in Jesus Christ that we might find peace. Having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the peace that I pray we might all find this Christmas. A peace that is lasting. A peace that's complete. A peace that is eternal. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we stand before you today humbly. Lord, just seeing the beauty of the Christmas story and how You came to bring peace. Lord, we want to come before You acknowledging that the need for peace came because of the conflict that began within us. Lord, help us to see that conflict within our own hearts. Lord, help us to turn to You and to see that we need You. To acknowledge ourselves, our sinful hearts. And Lord, to place that in Your hands. Lord, to place that in Your hands because You have come to make a way. Lord, You've already done everything necessary to reconcile us unto Yourself. Lord, to prepare us for an eternal destiny. 
a gift of peace unlike any other. Lord, we thank You and we praise You. And Lord, I say to each of us, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Prince of Peace shine His face upon you. Lord, we need you today. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.